you ever felt like living inside of a body is just one big trap that can only go wrong in one million different ways it can go wrong but it can never go right and that we're all essentially here to slowly break down and medicine doesn't really give you the answer to that problem if any of those things gnaw away at you or if you deal with health problems or if you worry about health problems or you find the world of modern medicine to be frightening disturbing strange but also potentially incredible or if you even have thoughts about the nature of existence and what the universe is what it's here for what our role in it is and you ponder whether it's just one big abyss well we've got the perfect book for you in this episode it's Han Song's Hospital my guests for this episode are the book's translator Michael Berry and an academic expert on Han Song another song actually Mingwei song in the main body of the episode emphasis on the word body I'll be interviewing them but before we get to that I'm going to take you to the Trotrific News, the translated Chinese fiction news. First item, it's more about bodies. You you might see where this is going. It's news about the three body problem. It has arrived on YouTube in the form of a TV show. This is so this is 10 cents three body problem tv adaptation it is up on youtube it has english subs and it's available completely for free i don't know i don't know if it's going to permanently be there for free but my plan is to probably watch it quite soon just in case it's not up there permanently but yeah I, to be honest i don't know how long this one's been streaming in china without you know without english subs but now if you read english this is available to you for nothing I don't know what the story is there. Perhaps they're trying to get ahead of the jump with the um, Netflix one already on the way. I don't know. But, you know, again, it's on YouTube. It's free. What have you got to lose? Next news item. It's a little bit of a deja vu. Um, This is not exactly new news, by the way. This is a podcast episode which has been getting some promo on Twitter from similar sort of accounts like Paper Republic. It's a podcast interview from summer last year. It was with Yang and Jeremy Tiang, and they're talking about Strange Beasts of China. So if you enjoy my episode about Yang novel, Strange Beasts of China, which had both of these two, the author and the translator, on as guests, well, here's yet another place where you can listen to them talking about the novel and other sort of related questions. So there's a link to that in the show notes, as there is with the three-body news item. Okay, third news item. It's our Hoppy New Year, our Tunian Kuala item. So bookshop.org, or an account on there, Impress Books, has launched a list of Lunar New Year reading. Lunar New Year 2023 titles and there's a bunch of stuff from I guess you could call it the the Sinosphere. Yeah, so we have Chinese translated fiction. I can see at least one Korean book, Love in the Big City by Sang Young Park. We have some I think there is possibly some sort of diasporaish stuff. I see I think another Korean one here, Han Yuju. I see a few Korean ones. I don't maybe I'm nitpicking here. Maybe we could do with some more from other um Lunar New Year celebrating countries. But anyway, it's it's in my news uh, items list because because there's a lot of translated Chinese fiction here. There's some sinuous books titles, including Lee R's uh, including Lee R's upcoming Cherries on a Pomegranate Tree, 
There's Yanga's White Horse. There's Graft by Li Pei Fu. Keep your eyes on that, by the way. Just just uh, a fun little list uh, with links to buy all of the books. Again, happy Chinese New Year, whether or not you were celebrating. I think I said this on Twitter. Personally, I wasn't, but it's the bunny year and I love bunnies. I love seeing pictures and paintings and every representation you can think of of bunnies being shared all over the internet. That makes me a happy man. Last news item, this is a new book alert. This is one for anyone interested in medieval dynastic China and interested in non-fiction books sort of on Chinese lit. It's a new publication by the publisher Routledge. I actually don't know if how that if that's how you pronounce it, Routledge or Routledge, so an academic book called A History of Chinese Literature. It's by Zhang Longxi. And as I understand it, it has a particular focus on the Tang and Song dynasties poetries. So it's got an overview of Chinese lit, and 13 of the 20 chapters are on China's medieval period. Oh yeah, the other thing I can mention about this one is the author. So who is Zhang Longxi? If you didn't know, and I didn't, he's the chair professor of comparative literature and translation at the City University of Hong Kong, which is not one of the ones I'm familiar with. But yeah, go check it out. The link in the show notes has all sorts of info in the book. It has a a, a, a link, or no, sorry, it has an embedded YouTube video, which is a lecture by Zhang Laoshu. So yeah, if, if this sounds up your alley, check it out, consider buying the book. That is all for the Church of Fig News. So enough, enough of these new things and on with the interview. So you're, you're going to be hearing me talking to Hospitals Translator Michael Berry and expert academic Mingwei Song, who it turns out are pals. And honestly, what more could you ask for? So enjoy. So on the show, we have Michael Berry and Mingwei Song. I'm extremely excited to have you both here because we're talking about the first ever novel in translation by probably my favorite Chinese author out of all the ones I've read in translation, Han Song. So it's Han Song's Hospital. Michael, you're the translator of this book. And Mingwei, you're an academic who's written and spoken quite a lot about Han Song. I'm guessing he's a a personal favorite. I wonder, before we get into the book, would you each like to tell the listeners a little bit more about yourselves? Just because you're furthest left on my screen, Michael, you can go first. Sure. So first of all, thanks for having us on your podcast, Angus. It's a pleasure to be here and to talk about this very strange and unusual novel. Um, my background is I, I did a PhD in modern Chinese literature many years ago at Columbia University. And over the years, I have taught first at University of California, Santa Barbara, and currently at uh, University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. I also direct the Center for Chinese Studies at UCLA. And my academic work mostly focuses on Chinese fiction and Chinese film. And I suppose you could divide my body of work into three categories, Uh, the typical academic monographs, I've done quite a few oral history projects with Chinese writers and filmmakers that have resulted in several several books of that nature. And then as a literary translator. So since I was an undergraduate in college, I've translated several novels, uh, a little bit of nonfiction, and I've been kind of juggling these three three parts of my my academic life over over the, over the years. So a little bit about me. And uh, Mingwei, how about yourself? 
Hello. Um, thanks, thanks for having us on this um, uh, podcast. Uh, just like uh, like Michael, I also did PhD at Columbia. Um, actually, we we had some time uh, overlapping at Columbia. So we, yeah, I, I, actually, you're the first Columbia uh, person I got to know <laughs> before coming to the US. Uh, so uh, our friendship, my friendship with Michael, went back really, really to the to the very beginning of the 21st century. Um, what I did at Columbia was um, mainly uh, like a, uh, Chinese literature, um, particularly the Chinese novel, the the like the the, the big novelists like Ba Jin, like Mao Dun, uh, those figures. Uh, while I was working toward the end of that project, I began to notice the uh, the the rise of Chinese science fiction. Um, so that was about uh, 15 years ago. I got to uh, read Liu Cixin, and uh, Liu Cixin actually Liu Cixin referred me to uh, uh, Han Song, uh, and I immediately I found Han Song was so interesting, and I got to meet Han Song first in Shanghai in 2010. And then just uh, in the beginning, I thought it's it's a sad project. Uh, I began to. Do the translation project for renditions to introduce Chinese science fiction writers, but then gradually it became uh, a big project. Actually, I just completed uh, uh, the final version of the uh, the book, the book "Fear of Seeing uh, a Poetics of Chinese Science Fiction," and I have been teaching at Wellesley for fourteen、um, or fifteen years. Awesome. I was a little worried when I invited you both on the show. I don't know these guys' backgrounds. Are they are they strangers? Are they academic rivals? So I'm so glad that I've I'm learning just now that you're close friends. That is a、uh, that's nice. I think the first time I did a three way、um, conversation for an episode, it was with、um, Jeremy Tiang and Yenge talking about Strange Beasts of China, and that one I went in knowing that they were best buddies. So I'm glad we have. Probably an equivalent to that. That's that's happy days for me. I was wondering for the next question if I could ask you just about your tastes in literature, because I guess this is a, a thing in the the the,、um, the world of Chinese literature studies and translation, but it's a thing on the podcast as well. Obviously, it's really two sort of strands that always seem to be part of the conversation. There's the understanding of、um, the Chineseness of Chinese literature, or just the literariness. And for me, because Han Song is, I just enjoy him as a writer, probably first and foremost. Although the Chinese side of the way that shows up in his writing is is really interesting too. So I was just wondering, is is a book like Hospital your guys' cup of tea? Like, how does it sit with your tastes in literature? Pass this one to Mingwei this time first. Actually, I I I read a lot of Western literature、um, back in China at that time. I. Read、uh, basically everything I could get、uh, hold of, and uh,、um, all the American writers, British writers, and、uh, I think my taste was more on the was was mostly shaped by modernism and postmodernism. But I did read science fiction when I was a kid, and uh, uh, that was the time when. The last wave of the Chinese science fiction、uh, was happening、uh, in the early 1980s, 
um, suddenly a lot of the uh, American science fiction novels were translated into Chinese, and they were the television shows, Japanese and uh, American uh, TV shows, sci-fi, and uh, I was certainly uh, uh, very much attracted uh, by, by that. Well, my classmates were uh, were crazy about Jin Yong, the martial arts romances. I was like uh, the only the only guy who read science fiction in the in the in the classroom, you know, after the uh, the classes, and uh, I guess that's part of me uh, that's always been there. So even though I stopped reading science fiction uh, in that kind of intensity for for a long time period, I when I when I found the Liu Cixin, I thought, wow, this is this is really good stuff. So science fiction may not represent my uh, my taste, liter taste, you know, in terms of literature. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I did have that part of the experience. Yeah. Hmm. How about you, Michael? You know, it's it's strange because as a academic, I almost feel a responsibility in my teaching and in uh, partially also in my research to expose myself to a very broad array of different styles, periods, whether it be Chinese romance fiction from the 60s and 70s to Mandarin Duck and Butterflies popular fiction, you know, in the 1930s to science fiction to martial arts fiction, to socialist realist work, you know, under Mao. Um, I, I feel because of my training and background in my my profession, almost a responsibility to dabble in all of those different uh, areas and kind of be fairly well rounded when it comes to general knowledge of the different different areas of literature. And sometimes that can lead you astray in terms of your own personal tastes, because, yeah. you know, some of this might not necessarily be the kind of thing that I enjoy would normally take pleasure to or reach for as a first go to read for, uh, you know, during my leisure time, but I spend a, a kind of unreasonably large amount of time often dabbling in genres that maybe aren't my personal favorite. What, what I think I do gravitate towards most are writers like Yan Lianke, Mo Yan, Aloy Jun, writers who kind of are writing long form fiction, often with a kind of historical reference point, but often taking that and reinterpreting it in very disturbed and convoluted and fascinating ways that sometimes put the reader in a very uncomfortable place, but make us reflect on deeper realities of the human condition and are also simultaneously pushing the limits of literary form. And so, the, I mean, uh, and I think you can, when I look at my own translation work, it reflects that because I tend to gravitate towards writers who are experimental, who are difficult, who are dark. You know, uh, several years ago, I translated a novel called Remains of Life by Wu He, or Dancing Crane, a Taiwan writer. It's a full-length stream of consciousness work, extremely experimental, very dark, uh, set against a historical massacre that occurred in 1930, and and also an incredibly challenging work to translate. And those are the types of works. And I think as a translator, I'm always, always pushing myself uh to challenge myself in new ways. I don't want to just reinvent the wheel. Uh, I, I don't want to just reduplicate my past efforts for, for each book, but I want to kind of delve into new areas, new explore new literary voices and, and challenge myself. And so, yeah, that's a little snapshot. I can see why you might like Han Song's Hospital. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of 
get what both of you are saying about feeling obliged to cover a little bit of everything. Well, I've got an English literature degree, so I had three years of only being able to read a little bit of things for fun. And then with this podcast, which I've been doing for about the same length of time now, I kind of backed myself into a very wide corner by making the show's tagline, all eras, all genres, all ideologies. But I've sort of made my peace with the fact that my own personality has shaped it, because although it's all eras, I really have neglected a lot of stuff from dynastic China. And although it's all genres, I uh, am devoting a lot more episodes to sci-fi than, say, Jin Yong and Wuxia. And so be it. It's, it's what I like, so I think I can be the most eff- effusive about it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a tricky balancing act. I thought um, a good place to start, rather than jumping right into the book, would be to try and introduce Han Song and his persona as an author. Um, Mingwei, you mentioned already that he was a recommendation to you from Niu Shin. And Michael, you said you like authors who make things dark and weird and make us look behind the surface level of reality. And I think that's that seems like a decent starting place for, for Han Song. He's, he's got a dark sci-fi vision. I can see why Liu Cixin might like that, but it's a very different style of darkness than you'd find in like Three Body Problem. Tyler, if you have like a neat one-liner that you'd throw out to describe Han Song, or a two-liner? Well, I think Han Song uh, truly shows the power of darkness in his writing. Uh, I would say he's like uh, the reincarnated Lu Xun in science fiction. Um, he passed a lot of uh, Lu Xun's ideas, notions, and uh, images. Uh, but that worked so well in this genre. And uh, uh, sometimes people do not even notice it. But it's all there, so it formed a great dialogue with the modern Chinese literary canon. So his closer to the tradition, uh, modern, the modern tradition, his closer to the modern tradition of Chinese literature, perhaps more than any other Chinese science fiction writers. I said several lines. Okay, so just now. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I could. Um... For for a listener who's never read any Han Song, I'd add to that and say a way that he's maybe like a Lu Xun or a literary writer who's critical and not afraid to get a little bit weird. Like I'm thinking of a Madman's Diary. It's weird, but it's not necessarily a genre fiction either. Han Song's definitely not a hard sci-fi writer. One doesn't really get the sense, at least in everything I've read of his in translation, he's not really trying to explore scientific ideas. He's maybe looking to the future. And he's maybe possibly thinking about technologies and crazy things technologies can do. But that's not the end in itself. It's often making a, a deeper or a bigger point. Would you agree with that, Michael? Or am I missing something? Uh, to some, I mean, he does. There, There is a lot of engagement with scientific knowledge, with medical knowledge, with the future, with AI. But he does so. He's much more experimental than I think maybe a lot of readers might expect when they enter his world in my eyes in some sense he's more of an experimental writer than a sci-fi writer um i mean there there is the science fiction element there's this dystopian element but there's also a highly experimental spirit behind his work and just a moment ago uh both of you mentioned lucian and diary of a madman and that's actually in some ways a perfect metaphor for hansong as a person because if you know the details of diary of a madman it's about it's it's a record of of madness that's recorded in this diary but we learn from the introduction that the madman was quote unquote cured 
and took up an official job in the government. And <laughs> I see where it's just going. And so there's these two sides of the madman. There's the record of his past history of madness. And then there's the madman as a kind of government bureaucrat that's implicit and part of the system. And Hansong himself has held a day job for decades at Xinhua News. And Xinhua News is, of course, one of the government's most important and central propaganda outlets for reporting media, for reporting on the party and uh, what's happening in Chinese politics and in the world. And Hansong has been a journalist and a newsroom editor there where if you know about Chinese media over the last couple of years, it's all about quote unquote positive energy. It's about kind of towing the party line. It's about presenting this politically correct vision of the Chinese reality. And so that's what he does in his day job. And yet then he has this alternate life as the madman, so to speak, that is this conjurer of wild and experimental and incredibly creative ideas through his fictional universe, which he weaves every night or whenever he has time to to conjure these images and these novels. And it's amazing how prolific he has been considering he has a full-time you know, very demanding job for all of these years. And I don't know when he sleeps or when he eats, but he's been able to um, balance these two. It's almost a schizophrenic kind of reality when you think of what he's presenting in the pages of Xinhua and then what he's portraying in the pages of his fiction. And so that itself is a really fascinating aspect of his personality, of who he is. And I think you really need to understand that other side of Han Song's life and it almost feels like this is his release or his you know fascia his way of letting out all of um uh, these alternative ideas that of course could never ever appear in the pages of xinhua news but we see very vibrantly illustrated and coming to life in his fictional work yeah hospital is definitely a bad vibes only book May I, may I just add yeah. something? Actually, my uh, the main argument that that I present in my new book is about uh, the representation of the invisible, which uh, truly came from Han Song. Uh, even though it's also r related to uh, Liu Cixin and many other writers, but the idea truly came from Han Song. Han Song uh, showed us a way of uh, looking at Chinese reality to see beneath the surface reality and to really to re represent the invisible, the forbidden, the tabooed knowledge and uh, sensations and everything. Uh, that was not almost not possible to do in realism, I think, in, in literary realism. Very few writers could do that. But, uh, but Han Xiong did that through science fiction, through this uh, imagination. For sure. And even in the in the novel, I'm going to jump ahead slightly. In the novel, um, there are descents into the lower levels and there are ascents into the higher levels. And I definitely felt that um, whether we're climbing up the hospital tower or going down into the nether regions in the basements, you're going into a more strange, messed up, more metaphorical land than when you're in the entrance lobby, but you're getting to the deeper and more troubling um, truths, but they're further estranged in the way he's writing them. I, I was just going to say before I, before I take it to the next question, I, I think was it Michael, you said that he's a very experiment, experimental writer. And yeah, I was struck when I read Hospital by how sort of almost unbothered he was with writing like a really coherent, 
traditional style novel with a full, you know, undisturbed narrative arc. Uh, I'd only read his short stories in translation and maybe some longer short stories in translation of his, and they were all very weird. But um, short stories can get away with being quite weird because they only need to sustain themselves for, say, a few dozen pages tops. Whereas the novel, um, it totally works, but it does not sustain its uh, energy in the same way that, say, like um, uh, The Dark Forest by Liu Cixin does with a conventional sort of um, plot. But yeah, that does lead me to my next question. Before we go really in depth about the publishing, the translation, uh, the deep ideas, I just wonder if it's possible to summarize the plot of the book. I have the blurb in front of me. What I could do is read the blurb and then see if we want to um, add any add anything else. I'll just go for that. I'll do that. So, Hospital by Hansong. When Yang Wei travels to Sea City for work, he expects nothing more than a standard business trip. A break from his day-to-day routine, a good paycheck, a nice hotel. Nothing too extra- extravagant, of course. No fuss, but all the amenities. But this is where his problems begin. A complimentary bottle of mineral water from the hotel minibar results in sudden and debilitating stomach pain, followed by unconsciousness. When he wakes three days later, things don't improve. They get worse. With no explanation, the hotel forcibly sends him to a hospital for examination. There, he receives no diagnosis, no discharge date. Just a diligent guide to the labyrinthine medical system he's now circulating through. Armed with nothing but his own confusion, Yang Wei travels deeper into the inner workings of the hospital and the secrets it's hiding from the patients. As he seeks escape and answers, one man's illness takes him on a quest through a corrupt system and his own troubled mind. I think that's a decent summary of the book. It doesn't reveal everything. Is there anything else either of you would like to sort of tease or reveal or just feel that the blurb doesn't quite um, reveal? You know, I would say that it starts off with a lion, like a, a lion's head, this narrative, because it's very powerful. It grabs you, it pulls you in, in terms of what you just got there with this summary of Yang Wei going on the business trip, falling ill. And it's it starts off in a world that's very relatable to our own. You, you can kind of envision what that journey to the hot, to the hotel looks like. You can envision what his hospital, what his hotel room looks like and every, and, and the, the, the ride to the hospital. It, it feels kind of of the everyday so, to some degree, but then where that description stops is where the novel truly starts to go off the tracks and take us away from the everyday, away from this world of realism. And it, becomes increasingly unhinged, not only into a kind of alternative space, but also alternative narrative modes. And so I feel it's not only a physical descent or a physical unraveling that's happening in terms of the character's movement in the world, but it's also a literary descent or a literary unraveling because as the novel progresses, Hansong is very consciously taking us to stranger places in terms of what's permissible in the world of fiction. And I don't want to give away too much, but it just gets stranger and stranger as it progresses. I would say people start making bigger and bigger claims about <laughs> not just medicine anymore. Well, um, yeah, without uh, um, giving away the spoiler, you know, um, I would see um, just like Michael said, it's getting stranger and stranger. And uh, the, if we put the three 
volume together, um, you will see it's not just about the hospital, but also about uh, telling a story about the hospital. So eventually, the narrative is a part of the world building, not just the world building is a is the goal of the world building, but narrative itself becomes a self-reflective um, strategy in the in in the novel. So uh, that that certainly responds to uh, what Michael just described about Hanson's experimentalism in fiction or writing. Uh, I think it's also about how to tell a China story. That's that's truly um, at the, the the core of the of the of the novel. How to tell a story about China? Then this time, I think Hanson has spent a lot of time telling story about China. Uh, he he throughout the the term Sinotopia, uh, uh which means uh, like uh, China. As a utopian or dystopian or heterotopian, China as a kind of a synotopia. And uh, he basically tried to present a lot of uh, uh, um, fictional images of China. And this time he just uh, gave us hospital. And I, I would say among his, in, you know, I, I, I perhaps read all his fiction, perhaps, uh, but he, he has a lot of uh, manuscripts that he has not. Uh, published yet. But I, I think the hospital trilogy is the most uh, uh, intricately and uh, systematically um, well-built uh, narrative. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and if, if I could just jump in, we, we didn't mention that this is a trilogy until this point, and so I should just mention oh, yeah. that Hospital is but volume one of a three-book series. Uh, volume two is entitled Exorcism, Volume three is entitled Dead Souls. And these were originally published in 2016, 2017, and 2018 in Chinese. And so uh, Hospital is that the English version is but the first installment. And hopefully about this time next year, Exorcism will also be published, followed by uh, Dead Souls a year later. That's I'm so glad you said that, Michael, because that is a perfect um, connection to my next question, which is the journey that this story took from an idea in Hansong's head to a translated English text. I guess you guys aren't necessarily privy to what goes on inside Hansong's head, not entirely, but I wonder if you could talk a bit about how, this might be one more for you, Michael, to be honest, but you could talk about how uh, how this publish, publication and translation came about, how you're involved, and just anything you'd like to say. Well, maybe before I talk about the translation, Mingwei, do you want to say anything about the oh, yeah. publication of the original trilogy in 2016? Okay. okay. Um, uh, actually, I, I, I do know a little about Hans, how this idea grew in Hanson's mind. Oh, um, uh, uh, by the time when the trilogy was all published, uh, I actually joined Hanson in Shanghai for forum. Uh, kind of a conversation with him on the stage, and uh, he basically uh, he very candidly shared with us how this project came into being. Uh, he said he was not he, he had uh, some health issues, and uh, he went to hospital a lot at that time, and he st still do as we know from the uh, uh, Weibo the. Uh, he's still visiting hospital quite a, quite often recently. Um, 
So he got this idea to 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 write a story about the hospital. His initial idea is just to, was just to write one volume. So he mm-hmm. he thought the hospital was a standalone novel. But the editor, Miss、uh, Yuchen, who worked at the Shanghai Renyi Chuman Shu, she thought a lot of ideas were still there, were not developed fully in the first volume. So it's it's her, it's a it's a Yuchen who、uh, insisted, who tried to persuade Han Song to write a second volume, and eventually Han Song did three volumes. When they were published in China, it's a little bit like、uh, the Three Body Trilogy. When the Three Body Trilogy was first published in China,、uh, the first volume, second volume, did not cause much attention, and the hospital was like that too. Only a few people liked it, but、uh, people did not、uh, want to talk about it because it's so just like the Three Body Problem first emerged. People did not know how to how to talk about it. So it took a while for for readers to 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 really to get to understand what Hanson was doing. That's a great editor. I think we all owe her some, or we're going well in English translation. We're going to owe her something, and Chinese readers already do. Thank you, thank you for sharing that, Mingwei. It's really interesting.、Uh, Michael, do you want to talk a little bit about the、uh, the journey of the novel in translation? Sure.、Um, so I I've known about Hanson for quite some time, actually. Back when I was still teaching at、uh, University of California Santa Barbara, I had a doctoral student, Kara Healy, who did her dissertation、oh, yeah. on、uh, science fiction, and so that also prodded me as her advisor to start kind of digging a little deeper into this world. And I think it was probably around that time that I also started becoming aware of Han Song, but I hadn't just didn't have the time to read that much of his work. I was also working on a I'm still working on it. It's kind of a long-term project of a monograph about how the United States has been imagined and constructed in Chinese literature and film.、Oh. And of course, Han Song is one of the writers who has done a lot on that end. He he has a iconic novel called. It's alternately translated as Mars Over America or Red Sun Over America. Or fiery star over America. There's a lot of ways people have translated it,、um, but of course the reference point is the famous book Red Star over China,、uh, Edgar Snow's book. And but it but it takes that and turns it upside down and looks at this dystopian future several decades in,、uh, in the look at looking at the world several decades in the future where. China is now the greatest superpower on the planet, and America is now a third-world slum. And so, that that was kind of my introduction to Han Song quite quite some time ago. And it was actually during the pandemic that I started to read Hospital. And of course, this is the perfect pandemic novel <laughs> because in our current reality, especially if we Rewind a year or so ago,、uh, at least here in the states. I mean, I remember getting up every morning, and the first thing I had to do was log on and download the QR health code for my children, so I could drop them off at school.、Um, and where we were all getting swabbed, and we were all dealing with quarantines and lockdowns, and hospitals were over flooded, and of course, so many of our friends and loved ones were suffering, or sick, or even even passed away. And it, there really was a sense that the whole country, if not the whole world, had turned into a massive hospital. And I think a lot of people in China right now are feeling that with 
Uh, as we know, the zero COVID policy was recently lifted. And I think probably we're witnessing one of the largest COVID outbreaks ever, you know, over the history of the last three years in China right now, in terms of the number of people that are suffering with COVID right now. And so it's very prescient in the sense that it's almost for, although it was written in they were, the whole trilogy was completed in 2018 before COVID even began. In some ways, it anticipates this strange dystopian moment that we're living through where the whole world has become a kind of hospital. Uh, so when I read Hospital in 2020, it really struck me as such a, a powerful work and, and so powerful. In fact, I only read a few chapters and I was sold. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, got in touch with Hansel and, and uh, sought his permission to, and it's one of the few times I've s signed on to translate a work before I had even finished reading the whole thing. But I was just so, uh, it spoke so powerfully to me on, on, a mul on multiple levels. Uh, one is a work of fiction and, a, um, and just the craftsmanship of what he had presented. Two, in terms of this relationship with the reality that we we're living in vis-a-vis -vis COVID. And then also on a very personal level, because one of the things that Hansong talks about in the novel a lot are these so-called these kind of professional patients who are spend years of their lives going in and out of hospitals. And uh, he himself, Hansong, has unfortunately lived through that kind of reality, suffering from various ailments in his life and spending a lot of time in treatment in various hospitals. And I hate to admit it, but for the last decade, I've also been living with, you know, chronic illness and dealing with. Uh, that's been a been a part of my reality. It's and and I've never read a work of fiction, and I speak about this in the afterward, the translators afterward, that kind of captured the absurdity of if you, if anyone who suffers from a chronic illness or is dealing with cancer or dealing with any very serious ailment, you'll spend a lot of time in the hospital system, whatever country you're in, and insurance companies and getting kicked from one specialist to another and one test after another. And I've never read a work of realism that was able to capture the absurdity and the kind of way in which this bureaucratic nightmare has gone awry in the way that hospital captures that in such a powerful way. And so I think I was also driven by that Kind of personal attachment and Mingwei was the the key here because of course as you know Mingwei and I go back many years we're close friends and Mingwei is close with Han Song so he helped introduce me to Han Song and we had a very productive meeting and uh, that helped kind of pave the way for me to take on this this project and and it turned out we were able to we we worked with an, a literary agent and we were able to place not just hospital, but the entire trilogy with Amazon crossing. And they were very enthusiastic about the project. And so they signed all three books simultaneously and it's basically a three year schedule. So I'm doing one book a year. Uh, hospital is now complete. It's set to be rolled out, you know, very, very soon, early, early this year. Uh, Exorcism is also complete. It's in the uh, just completed the developmental editorial stage and will go into copy editing very soon. Hopefully sometime later this year that will be published and goals is in progress. So that's kind of how it came together. Exciting. I've I think I've probably recounted this one a few times on the show, but um, I did a 
a master's in publishing, and for the dissertation on that, I did it on the publication of translated Chinese uh, sci-fi as compared with other kinds of translated Chinese fiction in English. And one thing I did was do a little uh, count of a breakdown of all the um, trans- stuff translated from Chinese that Amazon uh, Crossing had put out. And what I found was that it was a great place for genre fiction, and it was very good at giving these books nice covers, you know, strong commercial angle. And I just, I found it very impressive because often in the world of transla- uh, p- publications of things translated from Chinese to English, more traditional commercial publishers will will prefer stuff that is written in English from maybe someone like uh, Chiu Xiaolong, who's emigrated and is writing in his second language, or maybe someone from the diaspora who's maybe grown up in the States, say, and is writing something about their heritage, or some some white person who's decided to set their story in China and write it in English. And when you do have stuff translated, it's often in a fair... It's, it's literary. It's maybe by someone who's kind of dissident. That's your lot. But with Amazon Crossing, there's a much more diverse spectrum of stuff. Um, a lot of crime novels, a few sci-fi ones now. Um, and the only other place where I saw that kind of diversity in things that were getting taken to print was academic presses, like maybe Columbia University Press, but they don't have the commercial edge that Amazon Crossing does. So although I do think, to some extent, Amazon are the devil, I have to respect Amazon Crossing uh, as as the guy running this show, because it brings into existence uh, works in translation like Hospital. So it's just really cool to see. I've probably done that spiel a few times on the show. I also wanted to say, you mentioned Cara Healy. She's been on this show. Uh, she did an interview with me about Wu Ming Yi's The Man with Compound Eyes. So Cara, if you're listening, shout out and thank you for um, helping to introduce Michael to the world of Chinese sci-fi. That's pretty cool. I'll take us to our next set of questions. Exploring the hospital, I've titled them. Uh, this is where we can get um, get as philosophical and um, political and what have you as you like. So I have three questions. I'll do something crazy. I'll throw them all out at once. Uh, one question is, in this book, is the hospital just a building? Uh, spoilers, of course it's not. Uh, another question was, how vital is the book's Chinese origin to its meaning? Uh, Mingwei, you've talked a bit about that already. And then... Also, what genres and influence does the novel sit amidst? We got into that a bit at the start. Um, we named Lushun. I feel like there's maybe a bit of Kafka in this one as well. So I, I know I've, I haven't really asked one specific question. I've just thrown out a bit of a confusing swirl, but maybe that's appropriate for hospital. So who wants to say something, um, ambitious and literary first? Any, any volunteers? Well, okay, I can say something about hospital is not uh, just a, a building. The hospital is a system. It's like the, but um, I, I hate to, you know, give away too much about the plot, but it's really everything. It's, it's, it's the nature of the universe. It's in the nature of the universe. So, um, so there's a certain sense of matter. It's like, a, a, I, I think a lot of good science fiction novels are, matter fiction because it has a self-reflective uh narrative about the world building han song certainly did that in the hospital trilogy which is to provide a self-reflective narrative about uh, the world building so the hospital 
it's really everything. Eventually, it's everything. It's um, there's also religious angle. Uh, there's also religious angle. The Buddhist. Uh, did you notice mm. that it started with a prologue and it's also going to end with a epilogue? So um, there's uh, some uh, narrative frame, and there are also quite a lot of allusions to. Um, literary works that are like classical Chinese literary works, uh, uh, quite a lot of uh, uh, literary culture symbolism that prevailed in 20th century and 21st century China, uh, ranging from the Maoist uh, ideas to the Xi Jinping uh, Sixian, you know, Xi Jinping thought. Uh, and, uh, and a wide range of references to a lot of uh, uh, literary metaphors, literary figures, uh, intellectuals. Um, so it, it also mentioned Lu Xun in the text itself, of course. But uh, I also think the trilogy can be compared to the best works by Philip K. Dick, for example. Uh, I think uh, there's certain... Uh, Han Song was... Hanson read a lot from Western science fiction, and Philip K. Dick uh, has been one of his favorite authors. And uh, um, in terms of uh, this uh, um, uh, very dark, but also uh, it's almost like a, a maze-like narrative, you can see quite a lot of the uh, echoes of the, the British and American new wave uh, in this. But then there's also quite a lot of dialogues with the contemporary popular culture, um, including the Matrix, for example. Yeah. So um, if uh, you ask me, I, I think the hospital trilogy can be interpreted as an encyclopedia itself. It almost has everything, you know, science, history, uh, politics, um, and uh, uh, biopolitics and the medical uh, sciences and uh, um, literature. Uh, so it's very interesting. It's, it's, uh, and, and also Buddhism and Christianity and uh, Rockefeller and uh, <laughs> all kinds of figures. So it's, yeah, it's a whole world. Mm. I think I remember when I was reading some discussion about this book long before the translation was published that Han Song was bringing Buddhism into this work, or perhaps that you know, I'd read that he has a lot of Buddhism in a lot of his work. And that was confusing to me because out of all his works, I'd read in translation, Buddhism and religion in general wasn't really there. I knew I knew he had a story called The Wheel of Samsara, but I hadn't, I hadn't got to it. So I thought when I picked up this book, how, what is Buddhism going to have to do with anything here? It's about hospitals. But sure enough, in the introduction, you the, the the intro, the sort of it feels a bit like a cold open in a movie. There's this in oh, just the best like cyber gothic description of anything I've read in probably ever about this um the hunt for uh, the Buddha on Mars, and it's, it's it's completely insane, but it's completely gripping. And in that little section, um, a character doing I guess kind of old school sci fi exposition tells the guys who are with him the, the sort of origin story from Buddhism about um, Prince Siddhartha going out of the, the palace compound or whatever it is, and he encounters, and I'm going to mess this up, aging, sickness, 
uh, death. Maybe there's one I've missed. And at least in Han Song's telling, he thinks, right, I need to find a way to get rid of all these things. I need to solve the problem of sickness, aging, and death. And that's that was pretty interesting to me, partly because, I, one, I thought, oh, wow, he has he has linked hospitals and healthcare and medicine and Buddhism perfectly. But it was especially interesting to me because right now I'm in the, I'm finishing in 10 days, but I work for a magazine called The Medicine Maker, which is a a trade magazine for pharma. Pharma, definitely an industry you could write a Philip K. Dick novel or two about. And I run a newsletter for this magazine called the Cell and Gene Newsletter, all about cell and gene therapy. And it's pretty easy to get science fictional about gene therapy um, because editing human genes, what could be, what could be freakier? Most gene therapy isn't like that. So I would get in trouble if I went where Han Song went in my newsletter. But there are some ways where it is so relevant. Um, I know there was the, there was the first ever gene edited babies were created. They exist. They were created by a scientist in, in China who's, I think, went to jail and is now out of jail and has opened a gene therapy company. Um, I forget if it's Shenzhen or Beijing, somewhere. But another very dystopian and upsetting, but also maybe inspiring uh, branch of gene therapy that attracts a lot of investors and a lot of dubious characters is, um, what do they call it, life extension gene therapies, where they're trying to find ways to make people live longer, um, essentially by developing therapies that will alleviate or cure the conditions that tend to end our lives, like heart attacks, to the different kinds of degeneration that happen when senescence brings an end to you. Um, and the people that are most excited about this are, you know, the, the tech bro idiots of the world. The, the Elon Musks of the world are all about this this stuff. And I'm not really sure how feasible anti-aging gene therapy is, but what if it is? What kind of a sci-fi dystopia will that create? Because I don't think someone like me is going to have access to that stuff. It's going to be the guys on the top floor of the hospital, so to speak. You, you have to read volume two for the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, so long story short, I was excited to be reading a book with so much gene therapy in it. Even if it's, you know, taking a few liberties. He he was, um, you know, looking at a, a branch of medicine that is probably the most science fictional branch of medicine right now and taking it to some interesting conclusions alongside this analysis of all these other sides of society and Chinese society. So yeah, I've, I, I really enjoyed that and, and was happy to go along for the ride. I'm trying to think what other uh, freaky things we could talk about before I go back to more mundane questions. Well, I could circle back to your previous question because mm. you, you posed the series of questions there. One of them was mm. about how rooted the book is in the Chinese reality or how important kind of knowledge of contemporary Chinese Chinese culture is for, I think, readers to enter this world. So I think as to the question of whether or not readers need some background in Chinese culture to access Hensel's hospital, I think it really functions as a standalone narrative, no matter what kind of baggage you're approaching this with. Of course, we all have our baggage that comes from our language, our culture, our experience, the history of reading that we have each gone down in our lives. And that's going to inevitably shape how we approach any literary work. Um, Hospital is such a work that I think without any background in China, without any background in kind of literary studies, you can still 
enter this world and I won't say enjoy it. You can be disturbed by it as we, <laughs> I think, I don't think enjoyment is probably the right adjective to describe the, the process of reading this book. It's uh, it's just a, it's a very, in some sense, it's less narrative driven and more experiential. It's about letting these words and these images uh, flow over you as you're navigating that this book. And I think that in some sense is maybe even more important than the actual so-called story. Um, because as you go down this rabbit hole, that it really is a kind of Alice in Wonderland-esque rabbit hole, you find that it will become disassociated from traditional narrative arcs that you might expect. Everything goes off the trails as you, as you go down this hole. That said, if you do know something about contemporary Chinese culture, politics, economics, literature, you are going to get a different, very different perspective on this book uh, because there are a lot of references and reference uh, that do point to the real world. As strange as this universe that Hansong has created is, um, it's quite startling the way in which it is this very weird refracted mirror on reality of China today. Uh, in fact, I just wrote the afterword to volume two, Exorcism. I spent the whole afterword kind of providing a roadmap to readers on some of the real world reference points that Hansong is uh, likely pointing to in the narrative. And I think that is an important component, but it's not a necessary component. You can still... Uh, have your own interpretation and access this book. Uh, the same goes for the literary references. Mingwei mentioned this almost encyclopedic catalog of whether it be Lu Shun or whether it be um, medical knowledge or industrial history like the Rockefellers or it be pop culture like manga and anime all the way to the great Russian literary classics of Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and Gogol. I mean, there are references throughout this trilogy to all of kind of popular culture, high and low, east and west, past and present, that all gets kind of mixed in and sometimes very creative and strange uh, and innovative ways. And so if you do have a background in literary studies, I think you're going to have an added level of kind of pleasure from reading this book because of all of those allusions and the way that he's engaging with literary history. Um, I mean, volume two, the titles of each chapter are actually lines of poetry from Su Shi, the, the, the renowned Song Dynasty poet. And that's something that if you're approaching this in translation, you're not even going to notice. But if you are a Chinese reader reading this in the original, each poem is a kind of tip of the iceberg of a whole literary and poetic universe. And sometimes those poems will have very interesting intertextual connections with what Han Song is doing in his work. Uh, that's unfortunately one detail that is, I think, inevitably going to be lost in translation because there, there's just no way I can put a footnote with, uh, you know, a 50-line poem <laughs> translated for every chapter. Uh, but it, but I do want readers to be aware that there is this, there's there's this other reference point that Han Song is playing with that he's engaging with, and and the whole goes much deeper than what you might see on the surface. It was striking to me that with this trilogy, you almost have a, a triangle with a Gogol, Lu Xun, and Han Song, because the third book in the trilogy is called Dead Souls. I've not read any Gogol, but I know he's got a book called Dead Souls. Lu Xun's probably most famous story is Diary of a Madman. Gogol's got a story called uh, 
Diary of a Madman or, or a Madman's Diary. So I don't know. I I'm drawing drawing schizo links here. Um, as PKD or well, well the the. the... The other important reference point for Lu Xun is not just the madman and the diary of a madman, but medicine. Lu Xun has an iconic short story oh, yeah. called Medicine. And in that story, a young boy who is suffering from tuberculosis, um, his parents are so desperate for a cure that they hear of a folk treatment whereby if you take a steam bun and dip it in human blood and consume it, it could cure tuberculosis. And so they save up all their money and they get this steam bun, they feed it to the little boy, he dies, as of course did the poor martyr who who, who sacrificed himself uh, in this process. And so it was a real critique on, well, the failure of the revolution, because the martyr was a revolutionary, but also the failure of superstition and traditional Chinese medicine. But it's become an important and powerful allegory throughout modern Chinese culture and literary culture. And so Han Song kind of going deeper into this world of, I mean, the medicine, the steam bun, that is the medicine, so to speak. And it's a very dark, disturbing image of what medicine is. And here, Han Song is taking images like that and taking Lu Xun's experiment of this kind of looking at Chinese culture through this allegorical lens of medicine. And I think it's the almost ultimate destination of where you can go with that. I don't think you can take it any further than what Hansung has done in this trilogy. As a guy living in a failing country, I really wish we had a Lushun, uh, a literary Lushun here in the UK, especially down in England where I'm living right now. Not to sound too bitter, but um, yeah, it's powerful stuff. Yeah, I thought I might take us to the, the next section about summoning the experts, but before I do that, I'd like to summon an expert from the text who I just, as I was reading, I was just thinking I need to ask someone about this, whether it's an expert like Ming Wei or, or the translator of the text, Michael, who might have an insight about the Chinese. There is a guy in the book called Dr. And I'm going to pronounce it this way, Dr. Bauchi, because it's B-A-U-C-H-I. C-H-I in pinyin could be Chi, but B-A-U we don't have in pinyin. So I was thinking, Bauchi, Dr. Bauchi, who's this revered um, scientist and, and doctor. And given that we're in the age of COVID, I thought, is this supposed to be a Fauci figure? Um, Do, can either of you comment? So <laughs> I can comment. Uh, so this was written in 2016. So of course, Dr. Fauci was already practicing and active, and he was actually quite well known, but he didn't have nearly the kind of celebrity that he later acquired during the COVID outbreak. Um, uh, so I don't think that Dr. Fauci was a prototype for this character. And, and actually, there are multiple versions of hospital in manuscript form. While I was translating, Han mm. Song sent me, I believe, four different versions at different points that I was referencing and taking portions from. And it was a kind of a, we had a lab experiment with these different versions of the uh, manuscript. And it was a very com complicated process. But it I'll mention for listeners here, you get into this and there's a tr translators afterward. So yeah, so, another selling point for the book, but sorry, please go on. Yeah. So that afterward, I, I talk more about this, but in short, Dr. Bauchi in the published version, if you read the Chinese version from 2016, he's not called Dr. Bauchi. He's called uh, Dr. Huayue. Uh, Huayue Yisheng is, is his name. But in the first version of the manuscript, he was called 
Dr. Baoqi, Baoqi in, in Chinese. And when I was translating, I I have to admit that I kind of loved the reference in the between Baoqi and Fauci, and it would seem like a perfect example of synchronicity that uh, we could maybe exploit a little bit. And and it works with the humor, the, the dark humor, and the way in which this novel does refract reality in twisted ways. So we decided to use the original name of the character, Baoqi. And, um, and I personally, I was thinking about the reference of Fauci as just something that would be a tongue-in-cheek reference that readers would get. Um, and and it, it is there in the first version of the manuscript, but it probably was not directly inspired by right. Dr. Fauci. Yeah, it, it's too good not to use in a way. Um, I think that that is all my big questions about the contents of the novel. I was going to ask you more general questions, but is there anything else we want to say about sort of the story, the characters, the, the genre, the way the darkness uh, in the book is ma- manifests? Mingwei, I wonder, just what could <laughs> I'm, I'm going to beg you, <laughs> please, before I take you to the bo- more boring questions, do you have any sort of literary analysis that you'd like to throw out there? Well, I, I wrote an entire chapter about Han Song, and uh, I, uh, I I did see um, something about the hospital trilogy. I think we need to read in the context of the three body trilogy as well, because it indeed has uh, uh, this is Han Song's response to the Liu Cixin question about the darkness of the universe. Mm. But uh, but uh, but it's not uh, it's uh, uh, as as Liu Cixin said himself. Actually, I found Liu Cixin's words the, the the words that he that later was printed in the in in, in the hospital trilogy as a blurb uh, that was said. Those words were, were articulated uh, long before both writers became famous. Uh, he said he that is the same thing he told me. Uh, he thought uh, his science fiction was not complicated. His science fiction was two dimensional because this is indeed this thing indeed tried to give us a very neat and uh, uh, sort of like uh, uh, it's complicated, but uh, he he's trying to give us a very neat image of the like a two-dimensional universe or the dark forest, there's a certain uh, equations that can be drawn from his writing, uh, master plot. But uh, he said Hanson's writing was more like a three-dimensional, which means it's far more complicated than uh, just the plot-driven narrative. Um, how to understand this? I think it's, it's just uh, so important for reading the hospital trilogy again and again. <laughs> I, I read it many times. Uh, and each time I found new meanings, I, I, I was so surprised that uh, this text contained uh, so much. I, I bet enough, it's all been translated by Michael. So Michael, you, you, you know how, how that feels, right? Kind of like a, almost every sentence, it's, a, it's, it's a so powerful. It has a lot of uh, hidden meanings in it. And, uh, so I, I think the darkness is not just uh, the universe, but also the text. The text has a has the hidden mechanism. In, and it's also the text speaks about itself. So the text is also about the text itself. And uh, um, the, 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 the darkness, um, I have 
been trying to approach this topic through several different perspectives. Like uh, um, I, uh, I call it the, the mythology of the Chthonics. Uh, the Chthonic, um, um, the, the the dark underground, and uh, um, this is not just about the darkness of the system, but also about the how we can live with darkness, how we can um, survive in the darkness. Um, it's not just about the darkness of the the of the the external world, but also the darkness of the, of the inside. Uh, the heart, the darkness. Uh, so, well, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> I, but I, I don't want to give away the the plot. So, I, I, I basically, I think uh, if you we we talk about this novel, uh, this novel series, people should readers should be prepared. This is uh, just like if we we thought we we know Chinese science fiction through reading the Three Body Trilogy. Now. You know, kind of like a, you need to forget forget about what you know about Chinese science fiction. You're going to experience this all over again and totally different. So, um, yeah, it's certainly worth reading again and again. Yeah, totally. Um, what you were saying about how every sentence or almost every sentence feels loaded with really pretentious meaning made me think. Would this book work if you did something like what some people do with the Bible, where they they look they're looking for guidance or an insight? They'll flick it to a random page and read, you know, the first sentence their finger lands on. So I've actually I've had a go at that. I've gone to flicked open at page one one nine. I would say not every single sentence is a doom laden statement, but I didn't have to look hard to find one. So I'll just read one I flicked open to. Uh, here it is. It's okay. It's all nothing, I warned myself. I came willingly to this hospital, and there's no escaping. I didn't want to escape. For the sake of curing my illness, I had to adapt. All men are equal in the eyes of disease. Staying alive is no easy feat, but the world has no use for those who don't survive. And then he goes on to um, quote Plato. So, I didn't have to look very hard for that, and that was immensely quotable. And I could do that for a lot of pages of the book. And I feel like as we get deeper into the hospital, the the quotes get the quotes get deeper and darker, at least from my memory of, of reading the book. I would love to keep wallowing in the darkness, but I'm gonna take us to the more expert oriented questions. The first one was gonna be how do you guys come into contact with Hansong's work or how do you deploy it? Um maybe in your analysis of Chinese literature. I think we've we've kind of talked a fair bit about that already, but I'm willing to bet Mingwei, you could maybe go a bit more into this since this this really is your wheelhouse. Um, talking using using Han Song's um stories to sort of present various ideas, theories, takes. Are the, do you do you have another one in your pocket? Perhaps not in Chinese science fiction, but I have another writer who. Um, who truly, uh, but he's from Taiwan, he's Luo Yijun. Um, oh, yeah. Michael knows about Luo Yijun's work too. And uh, Luo Yijun, um, well, somehow he was under the influence of the new wave of Chinese science fiction. 
Uh, I, I, oh. I personally played a role in it because I, I told, I, I talked to Lu Yijun a lot about Chinese science fiction. And he <laughs> got into it and he began to write his own, uh, I wouldn't say it's science fiction, but it's more like a, a experimental fiction uh, based on science fictionality. So he wrote uh, uh, between 2010 and 2020, he published three novels, um, The Daughter, uh, uh, Superman Kuang, uh, Kuang Chaoren, and uh, Ming Chao, Ming Dynasty of Tomorrow. Uh, the, the, the three novels are filled with uh, uh, references to uh, uh, allusions to science fiction. And uh, the last one, uh, Ming Dynasty, was written as a, like a, a commentary on the Three Body Trilogy. It's, it's a, it's, it really has something to do with the Three Body Trilogy. It's like a, uh, about the two dimensional uh, moment, and then it built upon that, and it's a, it's a, it's own work. But I, I, I think that's a, that's a little bit uh, um, different from Hansung. I think uh, for Lu Yijun, Lu Yijun gave me uh, very different ideas about how text could work, which I call the new Baroque. It's something I'm, I'm, I'm writing about now. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's a different direction. Uh, that's not just about science fiction. That's about what, what is liter- literature, what is literalness. Uh, in the 21st century. It's a little bit complicated, but I can see if if Hansung could become a method or Hansung's novels could inspire me to find a method to understand Chinese science fiction, Lu Yijun gave me the similar power of uh, having a method, a new method to understand uh, 20th, 21st century Sinophone literature and 21st century um, literature. Yeah. But that's a little too abstract. I do not want to go to too, too many details about this right now, because I'm still yeah. working on it. Yeah. That's another episode, I think, in the future. I've, I've definitely found that when I've gone looking to cover stuff from uh, Taiwan that's been translated to English, considering how much smaller Taiwan is than, than mainland China, um, there's a pretty decent number of tai- uh, Taiwanese sci-fi that's novels and stories that have been brought into to English translation um, covered a few on the show and it's interesting to well to read it just as straight sci-fi and um, without trying to think about how Taiwanese is this how sci-fi how sinophone is this but it's just as interesting to sit next to um, writers who've maybe made it bigger commercially in English like the opposition it's it's definitely interesting oh gosh what was I going to say Oh yes, I just—I was just going to say I've—I've um, I've covered Luo Yijun on the show. Uh, I did one on his "Far Away," Liu Liang, I think is the the Chinese name, and I would never have guessed that guy would would be writing sci-fi or engaging with um, Liu Cixin. That's you've just blown my mind there. That's amazing. I, I thought I might um, since since you mentioned about considering these works as sinophone or as ways to um, consider literature. I wonder if either of you have thoughts about Chinese or Sinophone sci-fi as a force in just world culture, because I can say for sure when I've been listening to podcasts on, say, sci-fi or book podcasts or even film ones, I'm starting to hear 
or I've, I am regularly hearing people bringing up the three-body problem, not really um, other, uh, I guess, three-body problem in the audition. They maybe don't bring up other sci-fi writers, but they may well maybe mention that there is a whole wave of sci-fi in China that's out there that people can read. And I just find that very interesting. I'm not really up on the, the, the sci-fi scene. I don't know if um, new books are coming out from writers well outside China that are three-body influenced. But it seems like it's entered, if not the canon, it's entered the conversations. It's not, um, and it's not always discussed as as being an oddity or being Chinese. It's just Liu Cixin's name is in there with, uh, I don't know, say, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on thinking of any big names, but he's just one of the big names there among other writers from around the world. Do you, either of you have thoughts thoughts about that? Well, I, I think one of the real, there, there's maybe two really interesting and unexpected turns that science fiction from China has brought to us. Uh, firstly, for many years, especially, well, if we go back to the early tw- 2000s, uh, especially around 2010, there was a real movement in China on the part of the government to send Chinese culture out to the world and China, send Chinese literature out to the world. And there were major subsidies created for translations of Chinese fiction within China. And they would actually the government created various lists of classics that they deemed worthy and should be translated. And most of these are kind of realist works, works that are accepted by the officialdom in China. Um, but there was a huge amount of effort, a huge amount of money and funding devoted to this project of sending Chinese culture out. And I don't think anyone expected that what would really open the doors or break them open would be science fiction and Liu Cixin and three-body problem. This was kind of the X factor that came out of nowhere. I don't think it was on the government's radar. I don't think it was something that people had anticipated. And it turned out to be the most successful, most profitable, most read, most welcomed and celebrated branch of Chinese literature um, to come out and really reshape the international understanding of what Chinese literature is. But it came out of this kind of liminal space that really, I mean, a lot of Chinese science fiction was not taken seriously by the government for a very long time. But that success then turned things around. And now the government is all eyes on Chinese science fiction and actually actively harnessing its power as a facet of Chinese soft power. They're actively sponsoring a lot of these writers. And but then there's the other X factor. And what is that? It's that as censorship is closing in in China and increasingly the types of things you can talk about, you can write about and discuss is becoming smaller and smaller and writers are increasingly feeling uh, they're kind of tied up in terms of expression, especially over the last, say, three to five years. I think it's really been dramatic. Science fiction is emerging as one of the few areas where writers can say something critical, uh, dynamic, engaging, because it's this alternative space and because doesn't the referent doesn't necessarily have to be China. I think hospital is a great example. It's not set in any China. Actually, Hansong goes out of his way to never use the word China in hospital or the whole trilogy. It does appear a few times in the translation for various technical reasons. I can talk about, oh, right. But uh, it's not in the original. And and so that creates this kind of new space, the, the second X factor through which you can actually say something really meaningful, critical, uh, and you know, in some cases, subversive. Uh, and 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 these two are 
at odds with one another, right? The first X factor and the second. But I think these two are, are, are but two of the aspects of Chinese science fiction that have played out in really unexpected ways. Uh, first of all, the, the, the soft power aspect, and second, the way in which that it's become a vehicle for writers to say things that no one else can say in realist fiction. Uh, Mingwei, would you would you add anything to that, or would would you have anything to say about how Chinese sci-fi is being understood outside of China? Um, actually, uh, I, uh, I when I was asked a lot uh, what is the Chineseness of the Chinese science fiction, I usually did not want to uh, oversimplify this answer. I don't think. Uh, uh, I, I think yeah, Michael just mentioned why science fiction su- su- succeeded. Uh, I think science fiction was basically was not a Chinese genre. It, it was an imported genre from the West. I identified the three uh, waves in the history of Chinese science fiction, but all the three waves were under the impact of the Japanese literature and the Russian literature and the American Anglo-American science fiction uh, in the 1980s and uh, after 1980s. I think people read the Three-Body Trilogy not just because it's a, a Chinese novel, because it's really fun to read. It's, it's very interesting. It's a, if you uh, place this novel in world science fiction, it's uh, still very amazing. It's amazing because it's very original and it's uh, it's truly remarkable. That's something that we should respect. Just the same with uh, Han Song's Hospital Trilogy and many of Han Song's other uh, stories and novels. I think um, they, are, they, are, they are very good stuff. But uh, on the other hand, they, they are all grounded in the utopian, dystopian, or heterotopian images of China, or synotopia, to use Han Song's word. Uh, science fiction unpacks China's image and turns it into a synotopia for the world to see. So what is the novel? What is the most weird thing in, or what is the most uh, mind-blowing thing in Chinese science fiction? We can see it's China, but it's not China as uh, we simplified, uh, but rather China with both its visible and invisible dimensions which can be unpacked. So I, I, I think uh, the Chinese government and also the Chinese entertainment uh, business, so basically both the government and the market now pay attention to science fiction. But uh, I must say the new way certainly has evolved. I think it's uh, the most original part of the, uh, the genre has been upgraded by uh, by a group of uh, much younger writers who um, who try to make the breakthrough through you know the breakthrough came from uh, gender I, I really think that's that's the thing what's happening now with Chinese science fiction it's uh, to uh, to speak back to the male dominated uh, thing which you know was very true with Liu Cixin, Han Song, Wang Jingkang, all those uh, giants, they are, they are all male and they, 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 they dominate the, the genre. And now if you look at the, the most interesting science fiction stories, novels coming from China, actually 
a lot of them are women writers. And uh, I think these, um, this younger generation uh, remade the genre. So they, they lifted the genre from its uh, canon, uh, from its own canon, and they made it into something truly new and uh, non-binary. And uh, um, I use the word new baroque because it uh, has uh, the fold, uh, infinite folds in its textual space. Uh, I think to this new generation, the, 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 they do not want to stay with uh, Liu Cixin and Han Song in the world of the, uh, the darkness. They, they actually, they try to break through into a more uh, liberal world where they can have a more fluidity and uh, kind of uh, um, flexibility and, uh, and freedom. And uh, the, 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 the sort of uh, entangled the gender and the genre and uh, remake uh, each. So make, they made the genre non-binary, they made the gender non-binary at the same time. So it's not, uh, so a lot of these writers publish their stories not in the science fiction journals, but rather in the mainstream literary journals. So they have the crossover from the high and the low sort of bros, and they have the uh, wonderful um, rearrangement of uh, the literary elements in their uh, in their visions of what science fiction should be like. And uh, there the Gen Z, there's the new the, the newest generation, and I think they they truly said goodbye to Liu Cixin in a certain way, even though they perhaps still mention Liu Cixin. But I think their words are have been much, how to say this, they really, they have evolved from that uh, world, which is built upon dualist sea. Dark Forest is a, is a, about uh, the enemy and me. It's about the trisolescence and the, the humans. It's about the war. It's about the, either you die or I die. That kind of uh, Dark Forest scenario. But to this generation, their writings are all about uh, uh, sort of like a symposis, like uh, to live together in a ruined world, how we can survive together. And uh, it's a lot about the trans species, a lot about trans transgression. So uh, I, I think that's that's the most exciting thing happening to Chinese science fiction right now. It's a, it's a, it's a whole new, uh, so I'm doing, uh, actually it's very interesting. The, the Columbia anthology that I did, uh, the first volume is titled the re the reincarnated giant, mm. which sounds very male uh, kind of a image. And indeed that's a, that's a story by Wang Jingkang. I'm now working on a new anthology. This one is titled the Pimera, which is about the, uh, monster, you know, combining different uh, species. So, um, and in this volume, I have a, a, an overwhelmingly majority of uh, female writers rather than the male writers, and uh, some writers non-binary. I think that's a, that's a quite a interesting change. For sure. I've um, one of the ways I've kept up with um, Chinese sci-fi, at least in translation, is um, by being a regular attendee 
of the London Chinese Science Fiction Book Club. They do these um, Zoom. I think it used to be in person, but by the time I joined, it was always in Zoom. They'll all read a short story that's available in the original Chinese and English translation, and then talk about it. And yeah, there's. I started to notice there's for sure a, a pattern with with these stories, um, the, the the newer ones. Uh, probably a majority of the authors are are female. They're younger, so they're often. I'm going to be thirty in February. They're often around my age, slightly older or even slightly younger. Probably there are some now, even in translation, who are not my millennial gen generation. There's probably some translated to our Gen Z. As depressing as as depressed as that makes me feel, that's the reality. And yeah, like I I would agree that the stories are usually sunnier, not as dark and bleak, um, which is less to my taste. But you're you're totally right in that they a lot of them uh, go into exploring alternative societies or a society where one thing has changed significantly, and they often do feel quite hopeful. There's a sort of openness to difference to maybe foreign things to and it's never maybe said outright where this this is a democratic society where nothing is censored but the vibe is often is often there in those stories and an, another thing i noticed about a lot of those offers is they're often quite uh gifted and academically successful they've come from a, a background that i guess the opposition didn't grow up in quite so much where they might have you know got into a top university in Beijing or somewhere abroad and they've maybe they're maybe working for a tech like Google for example when Mooming the author came on she's an employee of Google and they're able to use either that be it a tech background or a scientific background or just a strong personal interest in science and do I guess classic it's really classic sci-fi where they've taken some technology or a concept and they've spun it into an interesting intellectual exploration of it, rather than uh, a story that exposes how weird and traumatic and dark existence is, like Han Song might. It's maybe less. I might prefer the Han Song style, but yeah, if if all literature was that, that would be a very um, gloomy scenario, I suppose. Um, I'm gonna. We, we've been talking for. It'll be two hours. We've been talking for soon enough. So I thought I would uh, take us to the miscellaneous section first miscellaneous question is the chinese word of the day if either of you could nominate one word to sort of um sum up hospital what would you go for uh, michael do you want to go first i need a moment to, to think of my word Mingwei, do you have one okay i think for now it is like a, um truly about uh, um survival mm. The, the one that I'm thinking of is suffering, mm. which may be nice, <laughs> yeah. nice, nice compliment to Mingwei's word. Yeah, suffering and the survival. Yeah, suffering and survival. Great. I'll confess, I never learned the Chinese vocab for those. I guess I do know. I know chuku, but that's maybe not the same as suffering. I don't know. What how, what Chinese words would you use for suffering and survival? Well, survival. I guess we would use Shengtun, right? Oh, Shengtun. That was. I have seen that one before. I think that might have been the word of the day in an episode we did on Shuemo about two two women trekking through the desert. But I'm happy to use it again. Yeah, in suffering, I think I would use. In this case, I would use probably Tongku. <laughs> tongku. Um, because it is, a, and and honestly, this is one of the uncanny moments where. 
reality and fiction blur. If you've been following Han Song's Weibo over the last few months, there has been a lot of suffering that he's been going through first uh, with, with his medical condition more recently with COVID. And this might seem like it's kind of Arabian Nights that it's such a crazy, fantastical world. But I think we should think about the human element and the fact that a lot of the suffering that we see there is a direct reflection of the pain that the, the author has endured himself and continues to 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 and the, and the fact that he has produced such an incredibly rich and powerful body of work while battling his own body for all of this time i think is really a testament to the the his spirit his will and the power of creativity and literature to overcome these physical limitations that we all uh, suffer from. I've spoken to him once in my life. It was at the London Chinese Sci-Fi Book Club. He showed up to discuss or answer questions on his story, My Country Does Not Dream, which I've done an episode on. That's an amazing story. And he was such a lovely guy. He was so quiet. He was totally willing to listen to everyone's question, no matter how silly or long-winded it was. He gave quite long, detailed answers, speaking in a, this very quiet, calm voice. And I thought, one part of me thought, this can't be the same guy who writes such haunting stories. But the other part of me thought, of course it is. Because <laughs> what's inside that quiet man, it's often, it's often all, all the struggles and the pain and the, the thoughts. So yeah, I think those are good choices of words. Uh, the next miscellaneous question is even harder. Fortunately, I have a good one in the bank for this story but if you were making the movie um for for hospital or if you were reading it and you needed some background music is there any song or piece of music you'd nominate for for the soundtrack you know there there are time uh, one there are times where i think uh, keith jarrett the pianist um he has actually a classical work called bridge of light and the first track on bridge of light this gorgeous elegaic uh, composition. For some reason, that's the that's the work that comes to my mind. Uh, and then at other moments, I think maybe of some of John Zorn's more crazy experimental work, like oh, yeah. Naked City, uh, captures another facet of this. But maybe somewhere between Keith Jarrett's soaring, elegaic, beautiful melodies and John Zorn's tapestry of madness, we come to a place that is maybe close to the hospital.
I do think there is something weird and ethereal and sometimes darkly beautiful about the weirdest, darkest art and experiences we can go through. Something bridge of light, a bridge of light could be yeah. beautiful, but it could also be very eerie and strange because you never meet a bridge of light in the real world unless maybe the sun's going down at the right angle just before night falls or something. And I know, I know some John Zorn, and I know it's absolutely batshit. So that seems like a good choice as well. Ming Wei, does anything spring to mind for you? And if it doesn't, don't worry. I I thought of a, a Shostakovich kind of like a really crazy um, music um, that was powerful. That's uh, um, in parallel to Han Song in a certain way, uh, living in the kind of a crazy society. Is, is that a composer's name? Yeah, composer uh, Dmitry uh, Shostakovich, Russian uh, Soviet Union. Yeah. He, he, he composed a lot of the symphonies, quite a lot of the symphonies, maybe 14 or 15. Yeah. And has, I think uh, his sentence is called uh, Lenin, Leningrad. Leningrad. That's uh, okay. that's uh, that's that's one with the title, yeah, commissioned by Stalin, yeah, but uh, very subversive in its tone setting, yeah. subversive when Stalin's around that is a bold move I, that feels appropriate too I guess just on, on that I've got one um, so this is um, this is a writer who's probably even more gloomy in his outlook than Hansong's fiction uh, he was involved in a musical project so the writer is called Thomas Ligotti I've definitely name dropped him on the show before and he was involved with I think a experimental um, group what were they called Something like, I'm gonna to have to check this. Hang on. You know what? I'm I'm just gonna to have to say I've forgotten who who he collaborated with. But there is this musical project where some uh, I I don't know if he was the vocalist of the band, but a guy read Ligotti's sort of custom written poetry or prose over this quite sparse, haunting music. And I love I don't know I've I've listened to this thing on days when I'm sad and days when I'm happy, and it brings like a very gloomy but also kind of beautiful feeling to me so i would love to put any of these any way i could squeeze any of these into the podcast i'd go for but there's one that does feel kind of it has maybe act three of hospital vibes where things are getting very bizarre and industrial it's called you do not own your head you do not own your head There are so many heads in the world. Wherever you go, there are heads. Every day there are more of them sprouting up in the blackness. 
At one time there was nothing at all, only blackness. And then, within the infinite spaces of that blackness, things started to develop. But as soon as those heads came along, nothing much has happened, or nothing worthy of note. The whole world reached its peak, and turned into an enormous heads factory. Every day there are more and more of them, sprouting up in the blackness, which was there at the beginning. The blackness that, perhaps by chance, began to produce all these heads, and continues to produce, so always calling out for more heads to carry out the business that, it's want, that it once done, its black voice roaring across the infinite black space of its heads factory. But none of the heads has any idea about the blackness that surrounds them, or the blackness that hides itself inside each one of them. And that to me is has more than a drop of hospital in it, although maybe not the start of the book, maybe the end of the book. Yeah, I um, I really, really rate that um, that Thomas Lugotti album, but I'm terrified when I've listened to it at work that the Bluetooth will break and everyone will hear what a psycho I am. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. So the next section is the bonus question. So listeners to the main episode will hear this one garbled and sped up. Uh, but anyone who has subscribed to the show's Patreon account will eventually get this little mini bonus segment. And my question to you each is this. If you were, um, let's say you owned your own publishing house and you could translate or commission a piece of Hansong's work from the original Chinese into English translation and get it published, which unpublished work would you pick and why? Um, I'll throw this one to Mingwei first. What would what would you like to bring into English if you could? I think for this one, Michael and I may have the same answer. I'll I'll close off the bonus section here, so listeners will hear us returning from the garble, and I'll just tell you all: you definitely should sign up for the Patreon because I just learned something amazing about Han Song works that are in the pipeline. That's all I'll say. I'll I'll finish this up now because I gotta go cook some chili the next the, the second the penultimate question is about further reading uh where, where where listeners could go if they want more like hospital but i'm going to be naughty here and say first if listeners want to know more about han song i've got two episodes in the back catalog about han song so by the time this show hits 100 eps three of three percent of those 100 episodes will have been han song um so there's been this one and then there's one, the first one I did was on his, oh, what was it? I think it's called The, fun, the Fundamental Nature of the Universe, uh, where I had Nathaniel Isaacson, another academic who just loves Han Song, uh, and who has an interest in trains. The, he's, I guess he's got that angle on Han Song. And then the second one was with Lu Guanzhao and two other members of the London Chinese Sci-Fi Book Club talking about My Country Does Not Dream, which is... I guess all three of those stories are really quite different, um, and yet both have something in common with Hospital. The fundamental nature of the universe, you know, the universe is a bad place, becomes, without spoiling anything too much, is a bit of a theme in Hospital. And um, My Country Does Not Dream is a very, like, Sinotopia sort of allegory in, in, in ways that Hospital is as well. So that those will be my wrecks. Other hand-song stories that you can also listen to episodes of my lovely show uh, to get more on what about yourselves if, would you direct readers to other hansong material or even other works like for example i might suggest some thomas Lugotti short stories for people who dig hansong but 
what 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 would you guys point to uh, for listeners, if anything? Um, I'll, I'll throw this one to Mingwei first. Hansu has really written a lot, so there will be quite a lot to be translated into English. Uh, he published uh, eight major novels, uh, in addition to a few um, earlier works, early novels, and he has published perhaps nearly two hundred short stories, quite a lot. Yeah. And he he also he also writes poems. He, he writes a lot of essays. Those essays are just amazing. I, I think those essays can be read as a short stories as well because those are all about strange things in China. Um, well, I uh, yeah. So pretty much, the, if if one wants to read more about Hansung, there will there will be quite a lot. Yeah. So there's. A, a reasonable amount in English and a, a mountain in, in, in original Chinese. One I could point to as well that I think is great. It's in the um, the reincarnated giant, um, the story, uh, the passengers and the creator. I talked with Nathaniel Isaacson a bit about that one. That's I, that's right up my alley. And then there's perhaps a more the reincarnated bricks. Yeah. You read my mind, yeah. A sort of um, less crazy and violent, but and maybe more reflective story. That I believe that's a very popular one. Yeah, it won a major award. Yeah, I definitely recommend that book uh, for anyone listening. Um, Michael, would you direct listeners to any other works? Well, like Mingwei said, Hansong has an incredible body of work in Chinese. There's even, I think, a five or six volume collected works that was published in hardback uh, maybe two years ago. So that's available and includes his poetry, his essays, his short fiction, several of his novels, including uh, Red Sun Over America and uh, The Red Sea. So there's a lot in Chinese, um, even just following his Weibo as a kind of fictional journey, because even when he is documenting what's happening on a daily basis, you get the darkness, you get his wry sense of humor. Uh, it's all there. And you can, and that's also a really interesting dimension to kind of see his fiction through this refracted mirror of reality, because you do see elements um, that shine through into his fiction in even his social media posts. Um, and as for English translation, you know, there's of course the dark fiction primer of short stories that's available. Oh, yes. Hospital is about to be out. And a lot of people really love exorcism. Um, I know David Wong at Harvard University has referred to that as the kind of pinnacle of the trilogy. Um, it's It was at one point it was had been optioned by a Chinese film company. It won a major sci-fi award in China. And so I think a lot of readers will be very excited or disturbed when they read exorcism probably in about a year or so. Right on. Okay. And the final question that I traditionally end with, uh, what are you all reading just now? Because my last episode was recorded a few days before this one, for me it's the exact same book. I'm reading James, I forgot his, I forgot his first name, uh, Paul, Paul, Paul Thoreau's um, Riding the Iron Rooster. Appropriately for Han Song, it's about riding trains around China. And I found, I said this in the last episode, but didn't realize before I started, he's Louis, TV personality Louis Thoreau's dad, which was a strange revelation. Uh, what about yourselves? Are you reading anything interesting just now, or is it uh, is it all for work? So for me, actually, Mingwei just sent me his recently published collection of poetry <laughs> oh, that yeah. he co-authored with Lo Yijun. So I've been 
uh, really enjoying some of those poems. Uh, I have this on my bedstand. I haven't even opened it. It just arrived. This is Wang Shuo's massive novel called uh, Qi Chu, I guess, in the beginning, uh, The Annals, which uh, Wang Shuo was one of the kind of known for so-called hooligan fiction in the 80s and into the 90s, extremely popular. He was probably China's most read writer during the second half of the 80s. And uh, I haven't read this yet, but this just arrived. And on my bedside is this strange book, which is not related to my research. It's George Bataille, The Sacred Conspiracy, which is a recently translated collection of internal papers of the secret society of Asafel and the lectures to the College of Sociology. So there were these two secret societies that George Bataille had been a part of. And it's a very strange uh, kind of collection, but I'm finding it uh, interesting. So those are a couple of things I'm dab. And of course, Han Song, because I'm translating, I'm always reading. Uh, I've been copy editing Exorcism. I've been reading uh, Dead Souls as I'm translating it. And so um, Han Song is also a daily part of my fictional universe. It's all sounding very edgy and goth, which is nice. <laughs> uh, Mingwei, are you reading anything interesting just now? Um, during the winter break, I I could enjoy reading something that's not related to my writing. Uh, actually, last night I just finished reading Penelope Fitzgerald's "The Gate of the Angel," "The Gate of the Angel," yeah, uh, which was published uh, in the nineteen nineties, and uh, it's just uh, such a a nice novel. Um, it's about uh, England in nineteen twelve. Um, it's, uh, it's about uh, Cambridge, it's about uh, the uh, everyday life in, in London, but it's also about uh, men and women, and uh, when uh, women begin to have the, their own rights, um, their, their own voice, and how women support each other. And uh, the, the, the way the story is told is very sweet. It uh, really gives us like a, um, a whole view of uh, the British life in 1912. Uh, from the technology to medical science to uh, the university teaching to uh, the debate about quantum physics. Uh, but then it's also about love. And the novel ends with... Uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's also about the ghost, about uh, the uncanny, about uh, the religion. But it ends with... Uh, a possibility that uh, the two characters will fall in love with each other. Mm. It's very, it's, it's very nice. And, and I also read a novel by Zhang Guixin, uh, uh, Yan Chen Xi, uh, Eyelid of the Morning. I think the, that phrase is from the Bible, right? Uh, Eyelid of the Morning, Yan Chen Xi, yeah. Or Eyelid of the Morning, like the crocodiles. Uh, the crocodiles I lead in the morn. Yeah. Interesting. It's about Malaysia. Yeah, it's about Malaysia. And it's about the colonial history. Um, and the part of it reads like a Kipling, the adventure, and uh, a lot of them read like uh, um, the historical background. It's, it's quite a powerful narrative. Yeah, it's a long novel, just released. It's uh, just released uh, this month. Yeah. Great. Yeah, it is indeed the best time to, to get get stuck into a book. It's the holidays. Um, 
Mm-hmm. That's that's it for me, really. Um, the only question I've got left to ask is: Is there anything we've not mentioned you'd like to you'd like to finally mention? Like, if there's anything you'd like you'd like to plug besides uh, the work of Han Song? Um, maybe I'll just mention just for a plug that I just published a book called Translation, Disinformation, and Wuhan Diary, which is a chronicle of my journey translating Fang Fang's account of the COVID. 19 outbreak in 2020 and the ensuing disinformation campaign that was launched against her. And so if you're interested in the interactions between disinformation, web culture, literary translation, modern Chinese writers, um, and how all of that got mixed up with the U.S. trade war and COVID-19 and political extremism, it's a kind of a unique story. And so I'll, I'll mention mention that. All right. That will be in the show notes. Um, Mingwei, I remember you said you you are just finishing a book or have just brought one out. So is there any of your work uh, that we can pop into the show notes as well? Just like Michael kind of mentioned that I've just published a poetry collection co-authored with Luo Yijun, uh, my oh, yes. literature friend. The book that I just uh, completed uh, is uh, right now in press with the Columbia University Press. Uh, it's called Fear of Seeing a Poetics of uh, Chinese Science Fiction, which will perhaps be released uh, either by the end of this year or early next year. Okay. I, If I can find a link for that, like a pre-order or something, I will pop it in the show notes. Oh, it's probably not ready right now. They, okay. they just uh, begin to design the cover. So, yeah. Okay. So, not yet. Maybe, maybe I, I, I will let you know later. Yeah, when it's available. Right. We'll plug it with our words for now. That that is that is it. So the last thing for me to say is thank you both very much for taking the time to talk to me about this incredible man and his incredible book. Thank you, Angus. We appreciate it, and uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you and being reunited with Mingwei. Thank you, thank you, Angus. It's really a great uh, opportunity to hear, uh, you know, uh, also to hear from you as well. It's so nice to see you, Michael. All right, time's almost up. The interview's almost over. I hope you are not massively depressed. I know I'm a little bit weird. These incredibly gloomy books actually do give me a kind of invigoration. Maybe that's not that weird, I don't know. People do like gothy stuff, don't don't they? So, yeah, I don't know. Perhaps you may have your own thoughts on that. If you do have your own thoughts and you'd like to feed them back, then you can contact, get in touch via social media. There's a, a Twitter, at AngusLikesWords. That's me, <laughs> rather than the podcast per se. If you want the podcast per se, there is Instagram at Trichific, T-R-C-H-F-I-C. If you'd like to share some thoughts collectively with other fans, then Discord is the place to do that. There's a link in the show notes. I'm also, I'm thinking I'm going to start sort of opening up the emails, sorry, the podcast official email as a sort of an inbox for feedback. We'll, We'll see if that interests anyone. The translated Chinese fiction podcast at outlook.com. I will put that in the show notes because that is an awful lot to remember, but it's just literally the name of the podcast and then at outlook.com. If you'd like to support the show financially, so to help me sort of cover the hosting fees and also now the domain fee, because you this this podcast has its own homepage at trichrific.com, T-R-C-H-F-I-C.com to, to keep both those things funded 
sufficiently, then a great way to support the show is Patreon, because I put bonus episodes up there. They are queued to little ones to just sort of come out every two weeks. I need to make some more. Uh, they they are there's a decent amount of like sort of buffer uh, episodes queued up, but I'm going. I have ten days off between two jobs, my past job and my next job. Um, that's when I'm recording this outro in that little window of free time. So I'm not using that window to go on a luxurious holiday to Sea uh, City to seek gene therapy treatment in the hospital. I'm going to be using it to go on some walks and do pod stuff because I'm a very sad individual. Yes, indeed. So yeah, um, do do check out all that stuff that I create in this downtime that'll be getting queued up on the Patreon and yeah, just help support the show. And I mentioned the new homepage, churchofficthrchfic.com. I think it's beautiful. I'm biased, of course, but see what you think. Explore. Uh, it should give you more sort of user-friendly ways to browse the episodes and whatnot. So just have a look, see what you think. Now, the last thing you can do to support this very fine show and it is the best thing you can do and that is to spread the word so tell the people in your life that are close to you your friends your families and your doctors we didn't really get into how much doctors are worshipped in uh, the book hospital but that is a very interesting thing so i'm sure you just like young ways uh, inmates in the hospital worship your doctor so grab your doctor's tie as hard as you can yank his or her face right up to your face and say subscribe to the translated Chinese fiction podcast and when they throw you out of the medical center know that you did your bit for the cause and with that mission in our hearts together I will say to you Zaijian